Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. And now your host, Eyal Levy. Welcome to the URM Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. It's crazy to think that we are now on our seventh year. Don't ask me how that all just flew by, but it did. Man, time moves fast. And it's only because of you, the listeners. If you'd like us to stick around another seven years, and there's a few simple things you can do that would really, really help us out. I would endlessly appreciate if you would, number one, share our episodes with your friends. Number two, post our episodes on your Facebook and Instagram and tag me at Levy URM Audio and at URM Academy and, of course, our guest. And number three, leave us reviews and five-star reviews wherever you can. We especially love iTunes reviews. Once again... Thank you for all the years and years of loyalty. I just want you to know that we will never charge you for this podcast, and I will always work as hard as possible to improve the episodes in every single way. All we ask in return is a share, a post, and tag us. Oh, and one last thing. Do you have a question you would like me to answer on an episode? I don't mean for a guest. I mean for me. It can be about anything. Email it to me at al at urm.academy. That's E-Y-A-L at U-R-M dot A-C-A-D-E-M-Y. There's no dot com on that. It's exactly the way I spelled it. And use the subject line, answer me al. All right, let's get on with it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the URM podcast. My guest today is someone who I have wanted to get on here for a long time, so I'm very excited about this one. Will Yip is a legendary songwriter, producer, engineer, mixer, and record label owner. Uh, he's a partner at the famous Studio 4, which is you know known for Bob Dylan and Billy Joel and the Fugees, and he splits time as the primary mind behind the labels Black Cement and Memory Music. He's produced bands such as Code Orange, Circus Survive, Title Fight, and so many more. Here we go. Let's do this. Will Yip, welcome to the URM podcast. Dude, thanks for having me, man. It's a, it's it's an honor to get to talk to you and talk to your your listeners. I feel the same way about having you on. Man, when was that that we met in that bar in Portland randomly? What a random, random time. I think that was, I do know exactly when that was. That was the end of 2018. I was out there, you know, I couldn't talk too much about there then because it was like a, a secret writing session. But we were at that point, I was working on my fifth record with Turnover. The man Turnover, literally one of my favorite bands to work with. And we wanted to do something different. You know, we spent the first four records doing it at, at my studio here in uh, in Philly. And, you know, people want to switch it up. And most bands, they just use a different producer or a different writer, a different collaborator. Simple way to switch it up. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm lucky enough that they valued our creative relationship. And they're like, yo, we want, we want to work with you, but let's switch it up. Let's switch up somehow. Let's let's write this shit somewhere. Let's fucking, let's, let's write this shit in like Hawaii or some shit or in South America or whatever. We, you know, we went to Portland instead <laughs> of those things. Um, just because their tour was starting the West Coast. And we're like, yo, let's link up in Portland. Let's get an Airbnb for a few weeks um, before, before they hop on this tour. And we did it. And it was a Saturday. And I was like, holy shit, Portland, who do I know? After we like got into a rhythm, I was like, who do I know that lives in Portland? I was like, Chris, Chris Crumman lives in, in Portland. And I, I texted him. He was like, you're, you've been in my city for fucking two weeks and you haven't hit me up. I was like, dude, let's hang out. He was like, yo, actually, you know, I have homies. You know, you know, you know these guys, they're all at this bar tonight. Let's come through. I was like, 
oh shit, hell yeah. So that was that was the end of 2018. Crazy, it's flown by, yeah. So that was probably when Chris was doing Dance Gavin Dance on Nail the Mix. Yeah. Dude, it's all a huge blur to me. It's all a huge blur. You're doing too much, bro. You're doing so much good stuff. I love it. I love it. I mean, you can relate to the blur of a lot of work. Dude, can I ever? Um, you know, that's just how I that's just how I like operate now. You know, I just got married a couple months ago. Congrats. Thanks, man. And our goal, my goal was to, you know, maybe slow it down, work a little less and, you know, just just chill a little more, focus, you know. <laughs> Sorry, and- I'm laughing, but uh- <laughs> <laughs> none of that happened. Since then, we, you know, picked up a, a lot more records. We're putting out eight bands on my indie label and uh, and I'm starting three more other businesses, even outside of studio. So that all happened post getting married and when I was supposed to chill out. So, um, uh, it's been, a it's been a wild ride, but I'm grateful for it. You know, I think, you know, in a time where most people are looking for, you know, work in music, you know, it's, 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 uh, definitely, I'm grateful and it's an honor to, to be able to have so much great work around me. Well, you do great work. So I feel like, thank you, man. If you do great work, more great work comes your way, but I, I'm just curious. Do you think that slowing down is even in your DNA or like in your brain wiring? Like, is that you? I always make the joke to people. I'm like, yo guys, I'm inherently lazy. I don't want to do anything. I want a band to come in and I want their songs to be perfect and we just grab it and it'd be it. But like, that's just not how I am. You know, I come from a very work heavy family. You know, my parents are, you know, they came, came from China back in the late seventies and all they did was work my entire life. All I did was work. And, you know, I was hanging out with my mom the other, uh, the other day and she's like, yo, you gotta, you gotta stop working so much. You're gonna, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna fucking just burn out. And I'm like, yo, I got this shit from you. I learned this shit from you. Like, this is like, like all I saw, you know, I, you know, they, they're very caring and very supportive parents, but you know, all they did was work. You know, they worked 14, 15, 16 hour days, just, you know, coming over from China with nothing with literally just a clothes on her backs and like a sponsor here, basically. Um, they had they had nothing, you know, not a dime, not a cent. And, you know, I value that, you know what I mean? I don't think that work ethic will ever leave me. And I'm just inspired by work. You know, when I first started working with Lauren, uh, Lauren Hill, Miss Lauren Hill, she reads people really well. And I remember the first tour we were working and I was always stressed and, she, and she's like, yo, Will, I like you and I respect you because you're driven by stress. You're driven by work. You're using that stress not in a negative way, but you're 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 creating something with it. And that stuck with me. That's resonated with me the last, you know, probably 15 years now since since I started working with her, where, you know, I don't take stress and a workload as a bad thing. It just drives me to kill it, you know? I think that that's a key distinction, actually, because, you know, I've known many people over the years who look at a giant workload. Look, anytime you want to do something good in life, that involves creating something that didn't exist before. Yeah. You know, just channeling something out of thin air. Uh, there's, or like working with people who do that. Either way, when you're involved in stuff that involves creating, uh, whether it's a business or art or whatever, if you really look at it, you can get overwhelmed. You could get overwhelmed. But I think that the key distinction is that some people get scared and don't, don't go into it or will sabotage it. Other people will see that amount of work and get energized by it. And I think you can work on it, but I also think that it comes down a lot to, you know, nature and nurture. Like a lot of it comes down to childhood for better or for worse. I was around, you know, a dad that was a super high achiever in music and all his friends were 
the best classical musicians in the world. And that was my environment. So from that, just growing up around that, I didn't even question whether or not success in music was realistic or unrealistic or hard or anything. It just seemed like this is, this is life. Like this is life. This is what you do. This is what you're born into. And this is, this is real. Yeah. 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 I, I, I love that. I definitely connect with that. You know, for me, it was definitely, it was a lot different in a way that, you know, my parents were, you know, growing up, my parents were very, you know, they, again, they, they came over here and, you know, my dad was a waiter and my mom worked in a sweatshop, strip sweatshop for most of my, most of my life, you know? And, uh, so they, they actually didn't back when I started getting through the music thing, right? When I started, when I started playing drums when I was 11 or definitely when, when I started trying to work in a studio when I was 14, I was like, yeah, I'm interning at this, like, you know, it's this old weird dude's, you know, basement studio. You're like, what? You're, you're 14, you know, uh, maybe she's focusing on school and, you know, focusing on, you know, ha having a better life than, than we have, <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> so you don't have to work as much as we do. Don't make it worse. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, yo, I knew from when I was 14, when I stepped foot in a studio, I knew at that point I was going to work in a studio for the rest of my life I, from when I was 14 because I loved it. I fell in love with it. I fell in love with everything. I fell in love with the big picture aspect. I fell in love with building music. You know, not that they weren't supportive because, again, they're very supportive people, but they were, were nervous the entire time. And I was kind of nervous. And Can you blame them? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. For sure. And I definitely was, you know, I was you know, nervous. I didn't want to let anyone down, but I know, you know, just like you, where, you know, you, you're surrounded by, you know, uh, success in music and, and the possibility of success in music that this is, you know, this is very possible. I saw what they did in, in their work and like, you know, they had nothing and they're, they're, they are providing to two kids, um, and a bunch of other family with a great life and great opportunity. I knew me being here, being, being in Philly and being, you know, being in the States that I had the opportunity to kill it. And if I worked hard like them, that I was, I was going to do it. Like it, 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 at, at 14, I knew I was going to do it. I knew, I know what success meant, but I knew I was going to be okay because I knew I was going to work hard because I had that surroundings of just the culture of work ethic that I knew I was going to work to get to where I needed to, to be able to succeed. Well, you had this example that showed you that you can take nothing and turn it into something. Exactly. That's what I'm trying to say. Exactly. That. So, it, you know, and I knew I had a passion, you know, they, they weren't passionate about fucking waiting tables or putting clothes together. They were just passionate about giving their, their kids a better life. Yeah. Bigger picture. Yep. And my, and my, at that point, my, my passion was music. I was like, I'm going to make this fucking work. I'm going to make this fucking work. You know, at four, at 15, I started, you know, teaching drum lessons just to, just to like get some money in. And while working part-time at the studio for $4 an hour, I was like, <laughs> I'm going to make this work. You know, I was working at a studio helping nice. out for four or five bucks an hour. I remember getting the first raise to seven fifty. I was like partying, you know, it was like the coolest thing. Bought a Ferrari. <laughs> but um, I knew I was going to make it work, man. I didn't know how, I just knew I was going to keep working to get there. I said earlier that I think a key distinction is how people deal with stress. But I also think that I was talking about this actually with uh, Paul Masvidal from Cynic the other day on Riff Hard Podcast, how he just knew that music, guitar, and the type of weird music he makes is just his thing. Like he didn't, it was not a question. Kind of like for me, this has never been a question. Like when I was 14 and started playing guitar and wanted to have a metal band, uh, it was not like a maybe 
It was always a definite and there's never been any question about what the next step is or what it is that I'm doing. And I've noticed that some people don't have that. I'm not judging them or anything, but I have noticed this common characteristic among people who have made music their entire lives is that they knew the whole time that this was the only thing for them. Yeah. There is not another option. Maybe there's a couple exceptions like Jeff Dunn or whatever. He has, you know, another career too. You hear about like some outliers like that, like the dude from Necrophagist also worked for BMW and stuff, but like that's rare. Most people who do something great with music never planned or wanted to, or even thought about doing anything else. Yep, exactly, exactly. You know, I had the best advice I got when I was in college, you know, and, and I was all struggling then to make ends meet in college again. You know, I didn't have a big financial support. You know, I was taught to kind of build it on my own. But Paul Gluck, who at that point was a producer at NBC here in Philly, who I was lucky enough to have as a mentor for a little bit, you know, he was like, dude, in your 20s, you know, do what you love and your, especially your early 20s, your college years and right after college, do what you love. Don't chase the money. Chase what you love. That's the time that in your life, that's the only time that you can invest in yourself and work for free. And I'm not telling people to work for free, you know, but like, you know, don't chase the money. Don't don't go to places because you're 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 going to get paid more um, or whatever. Just do what you love because in ten years you're not going to be able to. <laughs> you're going to have no choice. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have no choice, and you're going to have to you're going to have to chase that money. And um, and I really took that took that. I was like, dude, all right, I'm going to fucking invest myself into the studio I was working at at that point and the personnel and just invest myself in my craft and try to share my craft with as many people as I possibly can. I relate to that. I think that's a great lesson. I just think about it in my 20s. I devoted myself to extreme metal and to a death metal band that we got signed to Roadrunner and everything and did our thing. But obviously no money was made. And I knew the whole time, this is never going to be a living, but I have to do this. And there were other influences coming in, like, why don't you try to do something more radio friendly? Like, why don't you do a style of music that is more capable of producing an income? I was like, no, this is my thing. I'm doing this. And that dedication to extreme metal is what's allowed Nail the Mix and URM and Riff Hard and stuff to exist. Exactly. Hell yeah. Yeah, that's inspiring, man. So I can chase the money now. Not that this is about money. Yeah, the core is your passion. Yeah, you created exactly. that core. Yep, you curated that so that that the world revolves around your passion. And then, yep, yep, absolutely. And you're totally right. I feel like teenage and 20s, you have to focus on that stuff. If you're, you know, if you're an instrumentalist, you have to to do the six to eight hour practice days then. Don't wait. Yo, bro, not not to like jump around so much, but so in college, right after college, like a, a year or two after college, I was already touring with Lauren Hill at this point as tour manager, play some drums, monitors, um, all that shit. Her teleprompter, that was the worst, that was the worst gig out of all of them. Teleprompter, <laughs> cause she didn't follow it and she'll yell at you. Uh, but I love her, I love her. Um, but uh, she, um, so, so I was home from tour and I just, finished the first title fight record and I knew it was going to be buzzy um, because you know, they were a very buzzy band at that point. All my buddies from college, a few of my buddies started working at Comcast because they just built at that point uh, the 
the flagship Comcast building in in Philly. Um, the and they were working at, for one of the stations. They were working for at that point versus, which I think now is something else. Is something else sports or whatever, or uh, like Comcast Sports or whatever. It all started with one guy. One guy was a video guy, and he was like, "Yo, I have a friend because he start started." be really successful there. I have a friend, he brought in one of our other guys, started working there and brought in our other guy. And they were outsourcing all of their audio to a Philly, you know, uh, uh, like sound design company. And they were getting big enough, the station that they would, instead of paying fucking 400 bucks a spot every single time, they were doing enough spots for this little sports channel that they can build a studio on the 32nd floor of this building. And my, 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 my buddy was like, I have one more guy. This guy will, you have to meet to, to the boss, the head of the station. Mm-hmm. Actually, I never told a story to, to, to anyone outside of our little circle. So I took a meeting and she was so cool. She was so smart, the, the, the um, head of verses. And she's like, I heard a lot about you. Funny thing is she also worked for Lauren, for Lauren Hill about 10 years ago or a few years before that uh, during the miseducation era. So it would be about 10 years before that. That was her most fun time she's ever had in her life working. And uh, we went down and we, we kind of, we, we toured the space about where do you see a studio? I was like, oh, this little closet area is fine. Just to do spots, just to like mix like little spots and do some voiceover. This little closet is fine. Uh, it's like, all right, to, to entice you, what about this corner suite, windows looking over the Schuylkill River. It was beautiful. I was like, all right, the window is going to sound like shit, but this is sick. It has to be in here. <laughs> you know, I was like, this is the sickest thing ever. And she's like, and to further entice you, instead of you know us buying a studio, you have gear. Why don't you bring in your gear here and we pay you a rental fee per day as well, as well as your salary. And she slid me an offer sheet and it was... At that point, might as well have said five million dollars on it. You know what I mean? Be, being tw- being twenty one and right, right and coming right off a tour, twenty two and right off a, t- a tour, which I made decent money. But the records I was making weren't making that money. I was I was lucky if I was making seven hundred fifty bucks doing an EP or you know a thousand dollars doing an LP at that point, a hardcore LP for a thousand bucks. That was like my normal rate back then for weeks of work. You know, so I saw this I saw this offer sheet. It was a lot of money. It was a lot of money. She stopped. She said, to be complete candid off the record, I see so much potential in you, in your in your audio career. Again, working with Lauren, that was my, that was the most creative I've ever felt. Part of me wishes I would have stuck doing the music video stuff and, and, and doing the creative side. You have a lot of potential. I just don't want to see you, basically don't want to see you just waste it in an office space. And that was where we left it on, on a complete off the record note. And I'm like, Fuck. At that point, that was the hardest decision I ever had to make professionally was turning that down. And, you know, we're talking, you know, I never thought I would make six figures ever in my life to fucking do audio stuff. And there it was. At that point, I was making a thousand dollars a record, man. I respectfully declined. I still advised um, the the build out the rest of the stuff. But, you know, I couldn't do it. I love music. I was going to just record. I just wasn't going to mix fucking radio spots and, and, or TV spots. You know what I mean? And show up at six and work till eight o'clock doing doing something that I knew my passion wasn't into. You know, I always tell guys, obviously I love I love the engineering side. I love building sound. Um, that's not where my passion is. My passion is in songs. My passion is the creativeness of, of, of creativity and creating songs. So she made it really clear for me, really easy for me the second she said that. I knew the second she said it. We still had the conversation with my partner and uh, my family about it, but I knew I knew what I was going to do. That's a ballsy move. Those types of decisions, those big decisions, 
you know, they will define yeah. how your life turns out. And uh, you can't let yourself be, I guess, mesmerized by flashy objects like money. Because yes, you could have made money. What would it have done to you long term? Yeah. Well, there's no, there's no way to know. But what do you think it would have done long term had you accepted that? I'll probably be in Connecticut. They moved to Connecticut immediately, like two years later. And I don't know, man, I probably would have quit. I probably would have quit. Again, you know, I just can't see myself doing that. And the only reason... I and the only reason why I would accept it is because of the financial security, you know, which my family has never had, you know, up until our generation, up until now, up until my brothers, my cousins, me, you know, this generation of our Chinese family, you know what I mean? This is the first time we've all in, in this generation has ever had financial security for our, our entire bloodline. That's the only reason I would have did it. And I think I would do something smart. I would, I would save up my chips and, you know, this, this, this something else afterwards. <laughs> but uh, I definitely would have been here because I would have not been in the studio. I wouldn't have these resources because for a minute, people weren't coming for, for not a minute, for a few years. People weren't coming to me for me. They were coming to me because I had a really good deal on a great studio. You know what I mean? Like that, that's, you know, and I knew that, you know. And um, so, I, you know, everything would have been probably delayed a little bit. But who knows? But you are exactly where you wanted to be, right? This is exactly where I want. Every decision I make, you know, in terms of like working, doing my imprint with a major record label, doing, you know, this label, working on this, this venture, you know, everything. I always think about the big picture and like where it's going to kind of help place me, where do I want to be, you know, what control I need to have over my life. Every decision, every single record I accept I take those things into consideration, just like where it's going to put me, you know, it's, it's all about the big picture. And I think, I think if there's any advice I can give to young producers or young people in the music world, you know, make good decisions, man, like the, think it out a little bit and, and not be overly impulsive on something. Or, you know, you know, I was talking to an artist yesterday about, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to build, you know, she's an incredible, incredible, incredible backup tour musician backup tour musician, you know, and she, but she wants to start her career as a solo artist, as like a full front star. And I think she is, she's, she mm -hmm. has everything. She has the songs, she has the sound, she has the look, she has, she, she, she performs, uh, but she's so good at playing that all these big, big stars want to use her as a, as a backing musician because she plays everything. Um, and she looks so cool. So they just want her on stage with, with them killing it. And I'm like, yo, all right, we have to put our foot down and we just have to commit to you being a fucking star. Let's let's be okay with losing the next tour's money. Let's be okay with that because even though you're, you might be losing that money, the, what you gain in your brand and what you gain in developing you as a solo artist is going to be way more, way more beneficial, way more valuable. So that's how I look at every record. Like, you know, yeah, I might turn down a bigger record, yeah. um, like, you know, uh, a whatever, a, a band's 10th record. But to me, that's not some, a lot of times that's not as valuable as me doing a band's first record that I believe in. You know what I mean? Even though it could, it could mean 50 G's versus three G's or five G's or, or seven, you know, whatever it is. You know, I think the, I, I, I think I do a good job on making good decisions on the work that I do and the situation I put myself in for, for, the, the greater future of myself, you know, because I think a lot of producers fuck that up. I do. I agree. Again, I respect every producer because they have to make their money. They have to keep their lights on. I get it. I get it. They have families to take care of. But a lot of producers, they get so popular and they, they pop off with a bunch of projects 
And then they they start getting used to these big checks, these big, the you know, the uh, bigger and bigger checks. So they keep chasing these checks. No one gives a fuck who does a band's 10th record. You know what I mean? Like you can ask a normal person on the street who's a huge Deftones fan. They don't care who's doing their fucking record. They they, they, they want they want the fucking Deftones, you know? Obviously, it would be sick to do a fucking Deftones record. Don't go get me wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that producer, you know, those producers, you know, I can name some, but I don't want to put anyone on the spot. But like certain producers, they came up with the band. That's how they got popular, right? They, just like me, you know, I think people were familiar with me because I wasn't even a pop punk or a hardcore, or a pop punk guy, you know, but I did a title fight record. And things started happening. A bunch of these, that world, I started doing those records and that world started to pop off a little bit. And it it's became easy to try and chase bigger records. So I got the Circus Survive record. I got the uh, whatever, and we're getting bigger and bigger records. And then I just see that already after a few years, there's already a next generation of bands, right? You know, the, the, like those fans of Title Fight five years later are doing their own bands, but they can't afford what I'm making, what I'm charging for records now. But they have their own producers that are hot and young and coming up. You know, whereas those, you know, you get older, you get older, you're chasing these checks. Not that you get stale or you get forgotten, but the reason why you got successful was that heat, that heat that you built something with a community, with a band, with an artist. You built something with them. It was almost like you being a tastemaker. And I find a lot of value in that. And that's why that's why I just enjoy too. I enjoy doing fresh stuff. I enjoy fresh energy. And I found that those are those records and those projects are just as valuable, if not more valuable, than just chasing these, you know, pushing six figure uh, records or whatever, or just high records. Even though you know, I I did a few records last year for free, you know, just because I believe in th this artist so much. I just tracked a fucking Bartiz Strange record for nothing, you know, because I just believed in it so much. And now he's popping the fuck off. And, you know, I, um, you know, I, I don't really care what people, how people perceive me, but, you know, my manager was like, yo, you're a, really a part of this ecosystem. You're perceived as a part of Bartiz's ecosystem and his, and just, you know, his thing. And, and that's valuable. And that adds to, Adding longevity to to your career because you're you're known more as a someone that helps build instead of just chasing. I never want to just be a guy that chases or climbs. I, I want to build stuff. You know, even on the label end of things, which you do, uh, there's a big difference between the legendary A and R people are the people who discover, not people who sign legacy acts. And of course, it, it's cool to sign a legacy act because it's guaranteed money. But the people who sign a legacy act, you know, they keep their jobs, of course. But the ones that become the legendary A&R guys are the ones who discover and build bands. Yeah, exactly. So back in 2015, when I started to see that, that disconnect happen, I was like, yo, I can't afford I can't afford to do these small projects all the time. I know I can't because I, I just bought into the studio. I took out a little quarter million dollar loan for the studio. It was a lot of money for me at that time and yeah. uh, uh, for, for any time. I was going to say, that's a lot of money, period. <laughs> that's a lot of money, period. And um, it was a big risk. And I had to, you know, I started, it was the first time in my life that I had to make overhead, like had to make a certain amount of high overhead. And it was really high. It was really high. And um I was like, dude, I can't afford to do, like if a title fight walked in, the same title, or, or if a new title fight walked in, 
I couldn't afford to do those records anymore. I'm like, and that fucking sucks. That's going to, that's someone else is going to do it and they're going to pop off and they're going to have fun and they're going to build this thing. And, and I'm like, fuck, I can't, I can't have that. All right. How can I, how can I position myself to do it? So that's when I created memory music. I created an indie label where, all right, yeah, maybe you don't have the budget to, or maybe I can't afford to do the record, but how about if I invest in these records? So that if I actually believe it, be, believe in it enough that I can be a part of the record and 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 own the record with you and me invest in it. And that's my that's how I earn my ownership of my part ownership of the masters. That's how I share the masters with you. So that yeah, I can afford to do these small bands because I'm invested in it. So that's when I started Memory Music back in 2015, just a place for my my friends or just artists that I believed in that just they just needed a home. They needed more resources than they could afford. You know what I mean? But I'll give, I'll, and we gave it to them. And, you know, I think it's, it's finally working. A place for, you know, not, not everyone can afford a twenty thirty thousand $30,000 record. You know what I mean? And But a lot of artists, if they had those same resources, could be fucking stars. So that, that's that been my goal with the indie labels. Like, give these young artists, give these budding artists, you know, fucking the resources that they really do deserve, but maybe they can't afford. You know what I mean? So that's why I did that label, to keep the business right, but also allow me to be a part of, of, of these, you know, budding bands. I think that it's very important to recognize recognize that you kind of have to check off both boxes out of pure practicality, right? You have to do what you have to do to keep the business right. But also I've thought this for a long time. Some people disagree, but they're wrong. (laughs) I I think uh, it's very important for those of us who uh, have gotten somewhere to help the next generation out. It's super, super important. How else is it going to work if that doesn't happen? And also on a practical level, you know, say that you don't have, say you don't like philosophically agree or even care. There's this practical thing of not becoming stale. Exactly. I was definitely guilty of kind of ignoring the world outside my studio. I think, you know, especially when I was a little younger in my 20s, late 20s. And, you know, I was like, man, all I give a fuck, I don't give a fuck about everything. I don't give a fuck about this, that. I just want to work on my music. I just work. And honestly, I probably needed that. I need the focus. I need to focus my craft. I need to, to fine tune my skills. Um, but now, man, you know, now with a little bit, you know, with whatever audience that I do have, you know, anyone that's willing to listen, I want to help. You know, and that's why, you know, doing this, you know, I'm grateful to be able to lend my voice on, on, you know, your platform and platforms like this. You know, I want to help and I just want to help aspiring rather musicians or producers, engineers, you know, because, you know, people like you and I, you know, we, we, we did it, we've done it or we're doing it. And it's really not easy. And I, and I can't imagine. It's borderline impossible. <laughs> straight up. I can't imagine doing it again. Like, like I can't imagine that. I don't know where I started. You know, I could have the story with you and talk about it, but like in the big, in the big picture, it just seems crazy the life we led. You know what I mean? So as like a young person in 2021, it almost seems impossible if I were them, it would seem impossible, but having voices like you and, you know, me trying to be one of those voices to, to help guide them, not guide, but just, you know, lend a voice and let, let them know that it is possible. And there's so many different routes you can go. I think that that's something I really want to, I really want to focus on sharing and, and just, just helping however I can. Cause, uh, you know, that's what, that's what we, sh- we should be doing as a fucking community. You know, if I want to stay true to my hardcore roots, you know what I mean? It's, it's about the community and the better that the community does is the better that you do. That's something I learned. So I started, I started doing a uh, subsidiary with an imprint with uh, Roadrunner at Electra. 
Dave Rath, man. He's cool, by the way. Shout out Dave Rath. Yep. He's my label mentor. Um, I said this before on one interview, but I have to repeat it because it's very, very inspiring to me. I think everyone, I don't care who you are, you, you, you can you can proclaim to be your as, you know, open or as, you know, you know, serving everybody else or whatever. But in this industry, there's a lot of competition. I'm guilty of that as well, and I definitely have been guilty of that. Every time I lost a test mix or a project, I'm like, fuck, fuck that. You know what I mean? And, part, and my partner would be like, man, they're going to do worse without you. I'm like, shit, you know what I mean? That's crazy. And she wouldn't be thinking like that. And I learned that from Dave Rath. When we're trying to sign bands, it's very hard to sign bands to a major record label. <laughs> it's very hard to convince an indie band to sign a major. We lost out on a band I really wanted to sign. It was like my first rejection. You know what I mean? Like, like, I, like I'm not, re- you, you know, I haven't felt that too much in my life of like, you know, usually if I want something, I work really hard. I have a good chance to, to get it. But this was this was the first time I was like a real A&R with Dave and the band went with someone else. And I was so bummed. I was kind of crushed. I was like, damn, I failed. I felt like a failure. And Dave was like, dude, root for them. Fucking root for them. I hope they become the biggest band in the world. Will, there's a bigger picture than you. There's a bigger picture than us. If they kill it, all that means is the next, there's gonna be 20 versions of them and they're all gonna be coming to you to produce, to whatever, and we're gonna get a bunch of them on the label as well if they kill it. And I'm like, if you root for the community and as long as you're active in the community, whoever does well in the community, all that does is benefit you. And I took that to heart. And ever since then, I just been recognizing that everywhere that I go. I'm like, yo, yeah, you might not get this work. And you know, your your record, your punk record or your hardcore record, your hip hop record might not be number one. But you know, if a band adjacent to your shit is number one, that means your world is going to be doing pretty good. You know what I mean? So, so as long as you're active and, and you're supportive of everyone else, you know, you, you're, you're going to be able to build with the community. So root for other people, root for other producers, because if a lot of producers are doing well, that means if you're, if you're any good, you're going to be doing well too. And you're going to have the opportunities as well. You know, like, it's just like, you know, what, what the fuck? I don't really pay attention to like, with that, the MGK shit, the Machine Gun Kelly shit, but <laughs> but you know it, it, that in a in a microcosm, yo, fucking Travis Barker, if he's if he's getting, you know, that might not be my shit that I listen listen to, but if he's getting people to listen to like electric guitars on the radio, fucking again, great. That's fucking great. That's all it's gonna do is fucking be a gateway for the next wave. There's a 14 year old kid that's listening to that shit, saying, "Oh, I want to play electric guitar," and he's gonna that dude's gonna write the next quicksand record. You know what I mean? Like be the next fucking quicksand. You know, like it's good for all of us as long as good music's being made. It's good for everyone. So root for each other, and you know, it really, really just cheer on each other and build each other up because it's all it's going to do is good for the entire entire community. That's why I've always been perplexed. I mean, now this doesn't happen anymore with like Slipknot, but the first many years of Slipknot being around, they got so much hate in the metal community, so much hate. But thanks to Slipknot, this next generation of metal was able to be big again because I don't know if people remember... But it went underground in the late 90s. It just disappeared off the map. And uh, Slipknot's the reason that it came back in a cool way. That they would take bands like Meshuggah on tour. They would do festivals with like Slayer. Like they would, they basically put it back on the map. And whether or not 
you know, people liked them. I've always loved them, but whether or not people like them or dislike them, it doesn't matter. They should have rooted for them because this ecosystem or this metal economy or whatever you want to call it is being strengthened in a big way by them or Avenge Sevenfold or Metallica or any of those bands that are huge but get a ton of hate. Never understood it. Exactly. And man, I have so much respect for Slipknot. Literally one of my favorite bands and they're still doing, they're still championing budding bands and budding culture. You know, they're fucking, they have just took Code Orange out, you know what I mean? And fucking, that's so fucking sick. So I'm grateful for people like that. And you're right, everyone should have been cheering for them the entire way. But, you know, that's how the world is, you know? But <laughs> if we can spread that message of just like, man, championing good music, that's that's it, you know? And, and you know, I always tell producers and engineers, it's okay, lose out on this record. There's so much music to be made. There's, there's enough to go around, to, you know what I mean? And, you know, as long as you're, as long as you keep working, and, you know, you focus on your craft, you hone on your craft, you're going to get the work. Hey, everybody. If you're enjoying this podcast, then you should know that it's brought to you by URM Academy. URM Academy's mission is to create the next generation of audio professionals by giving them the inspiration and information to hone their craft and build a career doing what they love. You've probably heard me talk about Nail the Mix before. And if you're a member, you already know how amazing it is. At the beginning of the month, Nail the Mix members get the raw multi-tracks to a new song by artists like Lamb of God, Angels and Airwaves, Knock Loose, Opeth, Meshuga, Bring Me the Horizon, Gojira, Asking Alexandria, Machine Head, and Papa Roach, among many, many others. Over 60 at this point. Then at the end of the month, the producer who mixed it comes on and does a live streaming walkthrough of exactly how they mix the song on the album and takes your questions live on air. And these are guys like TLA, Will Putney, Jens Bogren, Dan Lancaster, Tui Madsen, Andrew Wade, and many, many more. You'll also get access to MixLab, which is our collection of dozens of bite-sized mixing tutorials that cover all the basics as well as Portfolio Builder, which is a library of pro-quality multitracks cleared for use in your portfolio so your career will never again be held back by the quality of your source material. And for those of you who really want to step up their game, we have another membership tier called URM Enhance, which includes everything I already told you about and access to our massive library of fast tracks, which are deep super detailed courses on intermediate and advanced topics like gain staging, mastering, low end, and so forth. It's over 500 hours of content, and man, let me tell you, this stuff is just insanely detailed. Enhanced members also get access to one-on-ones, which are basically office hour sessions with us, and Mix Rescue, which is where we open up one of your mixes and fix it up and talk you through exactly what we're doing at every step. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, if you're ready to level up your mixing skills in your audio career, head over to urm.academy to find out more. I think that a lot of producers are operating from this mentality of a limited pie, right? So like if there's five pieces and six people, yeah, or five pieces and 10 people, or five pieces and 30 people, Yeah, you know, every time yeah. you, they're not seeing the pie is getting bigger or there being more pies or anything like that. They just see one pie that's a set amount and then a growing number of people trying to access it and it scares the shit out of them. But I don't think that that's an accurate 
view. That is not. I've I, I've learned that there are many pies. <laughs> there are lots and lots of pies. And if you don't focus on that and just focus on yourself and what you're working on, you know that you'll see the pies come to you. <laughs> you'll see many more pie, many more pies get delivered to you. It's absolutely true. I do believe in a very strong way, though, that you should give it your all to try to get what you want. But when you don't and somebody else does, let it go. Cheer for them. And again, there's two reasons, I think. Number one is what we just said about uh, their success helps. There's also the purely practical thing that how you react to losing something determines how you're perceived by people who will give you future opportunities. Exactly. I think there was a period of, of time where I didn't lose. And I hate using the word lose because that's that's not what what it really is. I'm trying to take those words out of my of my of my vernacular for this stuff. But so there was a period of time where I always did a band's next record. You know, I worked with Title Fight, I did the next record. I, I worked with Turnover, I did the next record. I worked with Citizen, did the next record. I work. It, I still to this day, I never worked with a band, an artist, just once. Other than one time, forever ago. I'm proud of that. And that, that means that we were growing something. They saw the value. Says a lot. Yeah, in our, in our creative, collaborative process. But with grown bands and when our world here, whatever you call our community, this little hardcore, whatever, punk community, grew a little more, you know, I was not supposed to do whatever it was, the last Code Orange record that came out underneath or, um, or this Turnstile uh, rec- record for many reasons, but they want to grow. They want to do whatever, just try different things. They're very creative people. We had these conversations, they'll, they'll, they'll both text me and we'll have this conversation. It's like, yo, we're going this route, you know, there, there's no there's no bad blood. I'm like, yo, there's never bad blood. Straight up, I'm grateful that you're even calling me about this. You, you don't owe me this. You, you as an artist don't owe me this. You know what I mean? We got, we did two great records together and fucking, I, I want you guys to be the biggest fucking band on the face of the earth. Number one, just because I love you guys and you guys are friends, everyone's do well. Number two, all it's gonna do, if they blow up, those last two records are gonna go, go with it. <laughs> yep. And those royalty checks are gonna be dope too. You know what <laughs> I mean? But I was like, but just just let you know, I have your back. I have your back. No matter what that means, I have your fucking back. That's why I did the pre-pro and the turnstile stuff with them. They're like, yeah. All right, they value that I still had their back. I was never, nor will I ever be sour about not doing a band's next record because, you know, you should be grateful for the records that you do fucking do. Like Code Orange, you know, they knew I had their backs. They came back and I finished the record. You know, they didn't finish the record and I finished the record and fucking we redid a bunch and I mixed it. You know what I mean? So it's like, if you you have to keep relations right and you can never be sour about shit. And because there's always, there's always enough work to go around and, Man, it's the artist's fucking choice. What you know, they they have to grow. And I know me and Brendan from Turnstile. I know me and Jamie from Code are going to work together for the rest of our lives in some capacity. You know, a record here and there. That's just a part of our long musical journey. You know, but either way, you know, I was grateful that it was because our relationship is so good that I was still able to help. Um, you know, in rather a small way or a big way, even if I didn't produce the record. So yeah, man, I think you got to keep those relationships just real and remember what the goal is. The goal is for this artist to get as successful as possible. So help them, right? That means that might not mean you taking the reins of producing, but just even you just support them. You know what I mean? You champion them. You 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 just back them however they need to be backed and you'll, you'll, you'll be in a good place. You'll be in a good place in the community. You'll be a good place in the ecosystem because people will val- see you as a valuable team member. You know what I mean? And not as, you know, a person to kind of focus just on 
them getting a piece of their pie. You know, you know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. That is a very hard thing to, I guess, not understand, but to actually do. And I think that it's something that you can learn how to do if it's not your natural way of doing things or natural way of being to where something doesn't come your way and you're cool about it. I don't think that that's necessarily how a lot of people are wired, but I think that you can learn how to do that by changing your perspective on things. Like if, if, you know, you lose test mixes and get mad about it or record a band and they don't come back to you or whatever. And you're finding yourself getting fucking depressed or really, really angry or saying stupid shit, all those things, you know, as perfectly understandable and perfectly natural. For sure. However, it should be gotten under control and an attempt should be made to, uh, to think about it more the way that you were just describing. And I can just think of like, there was a time where some band didn't come back to me and I got really, really mad about it because we had, we had booked the time and everything and then they didn't come back. And so I felt like at the time, I don't anymore. At the time I felt like I was kind of being lied to because why did we book this time? And like, why did we make all these plans? And then were you planning on this the whole time? Anyhow, my response should have been, cool, good luck. I hope the record's fucking awesome. That's it, man. It's way easier said than done, right? Yes, because you got emotions. You know, it's hard not to take it personally, but at the end of the day, you know, you know, you worked that band before, you were successful. I'm sure the record was successful. Yeah, it did great. That record did great. And, you know, uh, we're at this phase now where I had, I had this conversation with a lot of bands. Like, you know, we're thinking about working with other people just to switch it up. We've done four records to you, Will. We're thinking about just switching up. I'm like, dude, fuck yeah, man. Do whatever your heart's telling you to do. And, you know, and I'll always be there. I'll always be there to have your back. That's how I always get, get end up getting involved in in some way, whether I mix the record or whether I have to come back and we do a few more songs on it. You know, I want to let them know, and I mean it, that I'm always going to be a member of your team. Even if I'm not producing it right now, I'm always going to be a member of your team and I always have your back. Even if it's just as a fan, as someone rooting for you, mm-hmm. as someone just cheering it on, because I just want you to be successful, because that's gonna do that's gonna do all of us good. Just you guys being successful, even if I didn't do that record, you know what I mean, or whatever. But luckily, you know, even those records, I end up helping out in some way, you know. So that's I'm grateful for that, you know. Well, I think that attitude has a lot to do with it because I do think that we all know producers who are amazing, amazing, great, just brilliant, but the way they behave is nothing short of sabotage. And people will not keep them on the team at all in any capacity just based on the way they behave. And they could have platinum records with this producer. They could have done the biggest record of their careers with this producer. And the behavior is what is the reason they don't keep a relationship with them. And so I really do think that that behavior, that attitude that you're talking about is outside of the quality of your work. That's, I mean, that's it right there. That's why. Yeah, thanks, man. But I think producers tend to forget they're in the director's chair. You are privileged to have the quarterback role in the room. You know what I mean? You're the one. You're the one from from the computer. You're you're the one from the board. You're one kind of being able to navigate the the, the session and basically 
in, rather you and if an artist is a co-producer or whatever, or a songwriter or whatever, you are at the helm and you're really quarterback in this thing. You are the leader of the room in terms of how it flows. And it's, it's your room most of the time. You have to keep a positive energy. People just react better to positivity. You know, I, I think I really got into becoming a producer and not just an engineer because I will, you know, record in a lot of studios and the engineer slash producer were so like, just kind of mean, man. <laughs> they were they, 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 they were mean. They were kind of dicks, you yeah. know? And I'm like, yo, this isn't how you're supposed to treat people. And they were so talented. Some of them were so talented and had hits on hits. I was like, yo, this is not how you treat people, man. And honestly, the two guys I'm thinking of right now are no longer working in music. Of course. Even with hits, even with straight up hits under the belt. They're not working in music. It's like, yo, man, I do this for two reasons. I do this because I love songs. And I do this because I love hanging out with my homies. You know, that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's, that, and how can I make that happen? And, you know, nobody wants to hang out with a fucking grump or some, or a <laughs> control freak. A tyrant. Yeah, a tyrant. No, man. I want people to be comfortable and have a good time and know that everybody in the room has an equal voice. But I will help kind of just keep things in line so that we're going to deliver a record at the end of the day. And we're going to deliver a great record at the end of the day to make sure that with that help, make sure that we're making the right decisions. But we got to keep we got to keep the studio positive and just the mental energy positive. That's the way great shit gets done. And that's the way we have fun. And I love having fun. I love having fun. I think any fan will tell you, I, I fucking love having fun. So uh, that's something that I think a lot of producers kind of overlook. It's not about you, man. It's not about me. It's about the fucking record. It's about making people feel great. Because when people feel great, great music comes. What you're describing to like with that attitude that you've experienced with certain producers that we've all experienced. I think that's part of the old music industry and people don't put up with it anymore because they don't have to, so they won't. I think that back then there weren't enough choices. And I also think maybe artists in other eras also probably were more insane when it can't, comes to egos and, and habits and I mean, you know, artists are still artists in this day and age, but it's it was a little bit different with the amount of stardom and the amount of money and the amount of all that extra shit going on, you know, the size of those budgets. I mean, it created some monsters, I think. And if you look at the producers, the producers were in charge of these huge projects financially, and there are still good budgets now. Dude, I remember it wasn't it, like the Corn Issues record. And I don't know, I don't know these guys. I'm not like, I'm not saying that their records fall into this category of what I'm talking about. But like, I do remember the Issues, or was it the one afterwards? $4 million budget? Untouchables. Yeah. Just fathom what that means. <laughs> That's crazy. That's psychotic. That's crazy. That's going to affect the way people interact and behave, the amount of pressure that's on the producer, like that's a ridiculous, ridiculous, ridiculous amount of pressure. It probably led to some bad behavior that is no longer acceptable. A, because people don't need it. B, we're not in that environment anymore. Yep, exactly. You're absolutely right. And that's why, you know, I was just working with an artist. I've been, this is our sixth record together. And when the session, we're just having such a good time, man. I was turned over to him and, and to, to this the singer who's the main songwriter. I was like, dude, Thanks for letting me fucking do this record again with you, man. He was like, are you kidding me? He was like, it was never in question. I was like, 
thanks for saying that. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm just great. You know, I'm, I'm and you know, I, I'm just grateful to to be be a part of it. And it's like, yo, I I get capped up a lot. You know, I'm in the middle of about seven records right now. We're releasing a lot of records on on the two labels that that I work with. I get capped up and I get really stressed out. And there's times where I'm like, fuck, man, this is so stressful. But at the end of the day. Yo, we're fucking, we get to make fucking records. I get to make records with my fucking, some of my best friends. You know, some the people in my wedding party were guys that I met in music. You know what I mean? And, and um, I'm like, dude, I get to make records with these guys every day. A little stress. I, I should be grateful for all that stress. And yeah, yeah, I think if you keep that mental attitude, man, only good things will come. And yeah, I just got to keep that positive energy up. I really, 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 I'll say really times a thousand agree with you on that. So just... On a purely practical level, uh, when you have this much going on, like you said, there's seven records, got the label work, you have a wife, like there's a lot going on. How do you balance it all or is balance a fantasy? Oh man, I guess my first rule that I, I've always tried to get producers and um, other producers and especially producers that work with me and mixers that work with me in line with is a consistency. I think for me to do this much, my days have to be pretty consistent or else I'll lose my fucking mind. I remember back when I, in my 20s, I would do, oh yeah, I'm gonna do a session from four to midnight. Oh yeah, and then next session I'm due at 10 a.m. to whatever. You're just doing shit wherever. I have, you have to set boundaries. You have to set boundaries so that whenever you're working on something, you focus on that, you know what I mean? And you know what to expect. So like I wake up, my days are crazy. I don't think people know what my days are. Actually, I don't talk about my days much. So, so I'll break down my schedule. I wake up at about seven o'clock. I answer my emails. I do the laundry and I do some mixing in the morning. At 10 o'clock, I leave for the studio and I do a 10 hour day with whatever project that I have booked in. So my schedule is always centered by a project, you know, rather it's for three, four weeks, five weeks, and we start from 10.30 to 8.30. And at 8.30, I go home, I have dinner with my wife and we catch up and we enjoy time together for two or three hours. Then I go back downstairs to, to my basement where I have my mix room and I mix again for another session. And I go to bed around two or three o'clock, not healthy, not healthy. I know <laughs> I that, that's, that's my current <laughs> schedule right now. Yeah. And I'm lucky enough to finally have built a team, you know, from my manager to um, assistants, assistant engineers, personal assistants that help me. And and, and and really get the right people in your circle that can can just help you know help facilitate all all these records and facilitate my life. But so every single day, every second of my day is kind of already spoken for. And throughout the day, we leave you know hours for things like this. Hours for uh, you know every Wednesday, I know I have a or every Thursday I have a call with the label at four thirty. So I try to really get everything as consistent as possible. I eat lunch at the same time every day, eat dinner at the same time every day. It's just having people have their expectations right so that my wife knows I'm going to be home at 8.45 and we're having dinner. That makes people feel good that they expect you to be there. Now it's like, oh, is Will going to be home tonight? Is Will going to be, you know what I mean? Like, even though we don't have that much time together, that time that we have is quality time. That makes a huge difference. I was talking with a band that was working with our producer. I'm not going to put any names out there, not to blast him, but it's just a, a lesson that I took in. Um, he was like, yo, man, this dude kept like, 
dipping out. He kept dipping out for like calls and dipping out for meetings, just like random times. And it was just me and the engineer that was just kind of working. And I'm like, uh, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's kind of whack. He was like, yo, no, no, I don't. He was like, yo, shit, dude, I take a lot of calls. He's like, no, 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 I know you take a lot of calls, but like when you're there, you kill it. Yes. Even if you're there for four hours of the session, be fucking present. Don't be on your phone and worrying about the other thing. You know what I mean? I'll worry about that thing when I have to address that thing. But not that that's balancing my life, but that's just how I get shit done. That's what I do too. I think people get overwhelmed so that in their session, you can't see me, but I'm pretending to be on my phone. But in your session, you're like, oh shit, all right, all right this guy's text me about this building. I'm working on a new building right now. So I'm, uh, this guy's text me. About, no, no, no. Set aside time, even if it's 45 minutes later after lunch, you know, so usually we have lunch at two. Right after lunch, I give myself 30 minutes to take care, again, some other loose phone calls that I have to take care of. Um, it's just be present whenever you're where you're supposed to be. You know what I mean? So if you're in a session, be present. You can dip out, take that phone call, be present on a phone call. When it gets dirty and it feels imbalanced is when they all overlap each other. You know what I mean? And I know there's people texting me right now about mixes that I right now have no control over that right now because I'm here with you. I'm about to start a session. I have no control over those mixes. So that will just have to wait. You have to draw the lines. And that's what my partner's really taught me because she deals with this in her financial field all the time with people, 4,000 people from India to Asia bugging her. You have to draw lines and they will understand, but they'll be grateful for it because it's going to be better work instead of very jumbled stuff. So I think that's how I take care. It's not balanced, but it's just the only way I can operate. It's just when you get to it, you're very present for it and present for the work and you're not, you know, fucking on your phone in the session or, you know, fucking thinking about the session when you're on the phone, you know, you, you just have to be present. Yeah. I'll give you a, for instance, uh, right now we're on this podcast. I know that when we get off of this podcast, there's probably going to be 50 more emails and like just a line of texts, DMS, and I could be seeing them come in right now. It's set to do not disturb. My phone is upside down. My email isn't up. The only thing I have up is you, the audio I'm recording, and uh, <laughs> some notes about you. And that's it, because otherwise I wouldn't be fully present. And nothing is going to happen in the two hours that we're talking that I can't deal with after. Yep. People get anxious because they're so used to the immediacy of looking at their phones and checking their emails. But, you know, it, it's it's a tough lesson, but, you know, try to let that go and and draw some boundaries. Um, especially as a producer, man, you want to say yes to everything and you want to be there for everyone, but you're one person, you know, um, and I tell, I tell, I tell bands that I was like, yo, work with me. Yo, I'm, I'm gonna have your back until the end, but my schedule is kind of the worst. So, so, you know, but when I'm there, I'm fucking there. I tell bands like, yeah, we might have to wait fucking mad long, uh, to schedule in this, this thing. But you know, when we get things going, I'm gonna be there, I'm gonna be present and, and we're gonna be fucking rolling, you know? So yeah, yeah. I think the word it's not really balanced. It's just structuring. It's just structuring of how how I, I operate and how I live my life the way I do. We take off days, but we're not off days because, you know, uh, my off days c consist of a lot of other, <laughs> all my other business uh, business ventures. You know what I mean? I never stop. And the only way I can do it is by structuring it in a consistent way. Consistency is, is a big, big key. And focusing on the thing that you're focusing on at the time that you're supposed to be focusing on it. Yep, that's it. Those are the two things right there. When people talk about a balanced life or 
I just, I feel like I don't know anyone who has that. I don't know what that means. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, I can see like a fantasy of a balanced life of, you know, yeah, you have your home life, whatever, your your self-care time. For me personally, I know everyone has their own way of dealing with shit. Like if I'm alone and I have nothing to do, I'm doing music. Mm-hmm. You know, if I have nothing to do, I'm fucking writing songs. Music is my life. You know what I mean? And, and everything that's come, every other thing that I'm working on has been branched off from music rather that's you know in you know i'm very passionate about culinary stuff or fashion stuff all that stuff is a branch of relationships i had off music you know so music everything is centered around music you know and i would there's no other way i would have it you know so you know other than relationships which you have to keep you know you have to keep everyone including yourself happy and at least feel like they're taken care of you know what i mean uh, emotionally and supported you have to make sure you're supporting people that's what i'm looking for is that if you, you you're there for people your friends your family your partners but in terms of you know fucking everything else there's no other thing i'll be doing so you know i have one of my uh one of my mixed partners he he's, he's a little older he's a little 10 years older we're, we're, we're not built the same you know he's one of the most talented dudes that that I, I work with my buddy vince but uh growing up in the last like 10 years he always said will you gotta slow down man you're gonna get burnt out you gotta slow down you gotta get burnt out call months later yo will you're taking too much on you you, you, you gotta slow down you're gonna burnt out i'm like yo yo vince i'm, I'm about to work on this i'm about to, about to take on this project this record and I'm about to start this like other company with this thing he's like well you're gonna you're gonna get burnt out he's been saying that i haven't been burnt out for the last 15 years so uh, <laughs> oh and i and, and i don't think i've gotten burnt out yet I don't, I don't think that's just in my if it's music i'm not burning myself out because i fucking love it man I, I love it and it's not like i'm fucking building a house you know with manual labor you know i'm here just doing what i would do anyway, because I love it. Well, I think also if you didn't have the structure and the consistency, maybe you would burn yourself out, right? So if you didn't have that time with your wife, if you didn't know when you're going to sleep, if you didn't like, if you didn't have that stuff built in and you were just doing, you know, one day a session from noon till three, then sleep three hours and then do another 12 hour (laughs) session. And then like, you know, like that insanity, that'll burn you out. Yeah, bro, you're you're helping me write my memoirs for me, man. You're organizing my thoughts for me. No, that 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 is it. I think the reason why I haven't burned out is because of the structuring and and the consistency. Because there were times, you know, early in my twenties where I just feel now that I was burning out, but I was like, it was, everything was foggy. Like my entire life was foggy because you know we're doing noon to one a.m. sessions and only for like a week, and the next week we did like reverse. You know, it's like that's just not healthy for your body. You know, it, it's it's. You know, I think um, uh, Americans, you know, I, I I read a lot on like sleep studies and shit, but, you know, uh, Americans get, get so fucked up because your sleep is inconsistent. It's not even how much you sleep. It's the consistency of your sleep. You know what I mean? And people get fucked up here by weekends. So they sleep in and then Monday you're all fucked up. Your body, your heart doesn't respond to that well. You know, um, even you, you sleep that, even you just sleep six hours a day, if you get that consistent if you're sleeping from midnight to six every single day, that's better than you getting three hours of sleep here, nine hours of sleep the next day. Fuck it, that, that's, and whatever, seven hours of sleep the next day, two hours of sleep the next day. That's, that's just so bad for you. And um, you need regularity. Your body likes regularity and that's how I try to structure my days. I think that's very wise. See, that doesn't come naturally to me at all. So what I do is I try to mimic people I know who are really good at it. Like I'm very, very fortunate. My girlfriend is great at that stuff. So like, I just kind of see what she does and, and try to do it. <laughs> just, yeah, just kind of mirror it. And I look at like, you know, I have a, one of my business partners is like that. And, you know, I've just, 
I pay attention to people who do that and just mirror their habits because if I was left to my own devices, it would all be chaos. Um, and I'm aware of that. But I also really do believe that humans are not wired for chaos. We can operate under chaos and we can operate under stress and things like that, but only for X amount of time. Like there's a limited amount of time that we can be redlining ourselves. I mean, I'm sure if an emergency happened now and you had to pull an all-nighter or whatever, like a deadline shifted by, and it's tomorrow, not next week suddenly, you'd figure it out. Yep. But doing that every day, that's the problem. Yeah, that's not sustainable. Question I have though is when you're in your 20s and teens and stuff, uh, before you have a life that's like really established and you are trying to put your name out there, don't you kind of have to do the insane sort of stuff? You kind of do. I would like to say that there there's a magic res- magical recipe to not have to do that. But man, again, like, like I said before, like my, my mentor from college said, you know, that in your, in your late teens and twenties and college, college years, that's when you invest your time, your time is how you invest yourselves into something because you can't afford to do it afterwards financially or your body wise or health wise. You know what I mean? But in your twenties, that's when you go all in and, you know, again, not, I hate using the term work for free, but like, that's basically it. You know, I interned, you know, my days when I was 19, I was interning for seven hours a day. Then I went home to record vocals for local rappers and local singers and in my mom's basement top of going to school. I knew I was going to graduate late because I knew my priority was my internship and my sessions, you know, I knew that was the value of my life. So things were crazy. It had they they had to be crazy. You're right. It's 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 doing that and um and building off that that has afforded me now the life that I lead now and being able to structure my life the way the the way I have to structure my life. The reason I'm saying that is because I don't want someone that's 20 that hasn't establish themselves yet to limit their potential by imposing an order that's un, that does, can't really exist yet. Yeah, that, you're, you're absolutely right. So that's your structure. You know what I mean? And that, that's the thing. I think I think what it is too is like I had a younger dude ask me a couple weeks ago. It, it was kind of crazy. I just met him at a panel and he, he came up to me and started talking about his girlfriend was going to like break up with him or he was having trouble with his girlfriend, but he wants to work in a studio. What is he doing? I was like, yeah, that's a heavy fucking question. If you ask me <laughs> at a fucking average, that's yeah. the first thing we talked about. I loved it though. I loved it. And I was like, make the communication clear. So like, yeah, you're in your 20s, you have sessions everywhere. You know, don't fabricate it to your partner, to your boyfriend or girlfriend and say, oh, I'm there for you. I love you. I'm going to be there for you all day. Yo, if you know your life is going to be chaotic, they have to be privy of that and you have to surround yourself, partners, friends, with people that understand that. That's not easy. That's not easy. I went through a lot of crazy relationships, you know, gr- growing up and all my romance relationships, a lot of them didn't feel important enough compared to music. Maybe they weren't. Maybe they weren't. Yes, yeah, I, I know how that feels. <laughs> but, you know, when I first started dating my now wife, my life was probably the craziest as well. I was on tour of Lauren Hill. When I came back, I was fully on records. Like we were doing 12 hour days front to back while still mixing other shit. And she was very supportive because um, she knew I loved it. I'm very lucky. I'm I am one lucky lucky ones. But my goal with her was to, to when we first started dating, not that she wasn't a priority, was just 
for her to know what my life is, you know? And, and it's like, this is my life. I'm going to try my best and I'm going to try to, I always had the vision of my life getting regular. You know what I mean? Like where it is now and it's not complete regular now, but like, I'm going to keep building towards that. But like you said, this is what I need to do right now for the, my future. I want you a part of it, but I also, do, I also, you, you have your own needs as well. If this is, this is enough for you, if this can be enough, if this, if, if what I'm saying sounds like it, it can be enough for you. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Then fuck yeah. But if not, then this is probably not the right situation. And it's really hard because your emotions come into play, you know, and what you think you can do um, and how much you, you know, you care about someone obviously comes into play, but you have to be real. And that's the hardest thing to do. You have to real yourself and you have to be real at communicating with what your boundaries are and what, you know, what your life allows you to do. So, yeah. So even though it's not balanced, you know, my life was still then was still structured in a way I knew what was going to go on. Your communication has to be clear with the people around you. You knew what the priorities were. Just out of curiosity, you said that those previous relationships just didn't feel important. Must have been a different kind of feeling with who you ended up marrying. That one did feel important. I think it was because of that too, because she was so supportive other than, you know, she being the best person in the world and she had faith in that my life would get to where it is now. Not in success, but in terms of me actually seeing through the chaotic part of my life. And like, you know, I told her, I was like, yo, my life is going to get cleaner. My life is going to get uh, cleaner in, in, in sense of the schedule. And, you know, as we do bigger records, you know, we're, we're going to be able to, to fucking call our own shots and make our own boundaries with how we schedule things. We have to do this right now. This is the incubative process of the music career for me. And she believed in it. And that's that added to why, I knew this was the right person for me was that she was supportive uh, in that. And outside be her being dope as fuck, but she, you know, she had my back. She really was and is a ride or die girl for me. And same for her. You know, I think, you know, she, for the first time she, you know, she was jumping between jobs and she had a job where for the first time she was, she, she was a go-to and she, she had to be up all day. And she was taking calls with India in the middle of the night because that's when they woke up. A conversation really got to me, you know, we're in my car. She's so tired and I'm tired. She's like, I understand all those years now of, of like bands, you know, labels, bands hitting you up and you need something and you felt crushed. You know, she had nothing to apologize for, but it was almost like she was saying, like, I wish I understood more then to feel like she had my back more and she already had my back because she, she lived through with me. You know what I mean? I have no gripes with it. You know, I, I knew what crazy life this is, but now, you know, I will be there for her in the same way. She's like, I have to take this call. I, I'm working until 11 tonight in, in the front room. I have to skip dinner. I'm like, I'll bring dinner home. All good. Where it's all good. You know, we're, 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 we're you're, you're stuck me the rest of your goddamn life. It's fucking, you know, like it's all, it's, you know, fucking, this is what we got to do. But also trust that, you know, it's not always going to be like this because she's going to climb the way she has to climb and for her to curate the life she wants to curate. And if, if that involves a busy life too, that's cool too. I think I, I'm very understanding because of the chaotic life that I've led, you know? So yeah, you know, you're right. Yeah. I think her understanding of that and our honesty and our support in each other is what, you know, got us where we are. I honestly believe that if someone attempting this life doesn't have that, it's better to be single than to be with someone that is not going to, I guess, work with the plan. Yeah. It creates a very 
toxic environment for both parties because you guys both aren't getting what you guys want yes. and um, or need out of the situation. And it just creates a very negative negative space to to be supportive of each other. Yeah, I don't mean it as a judgment on anybody. There's lots of great people who are completely incompatible. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what I meant. And not about the person being toxic, just about the situation being just not right, you know, and it's have negative uh, a um, yeah, it's just inco- incompatibility is, is, is the right word. You got to know and understand who you're getting involved with. And it goes for business partners and everyone you work with as well. There's got to be some measure of compatibility with everything. Absolutely. How do you determine that, by the way, with a band, that there's compatibility with you and them? Oh, man, this is this is a load of question, but easy for me, really easy for me. I like to think I think everyone thinks this way about themselves. <laughs> so maybe <laughs> that makes me a makes me fucking a egomaniac, but it's, but it's not. I'm down to work with anyone in terms of all personalities. I've learned that even the crazier guys are the one that teaches me the most. I love learning. I think producers have to learn that you're, you know, even though that producers are put at the helm of the record and people want to get information out of you and you're leading things, you got to learn. Artists have a lot to share with you. You have to learn from people. You have to learn from everyone. I learn from my assistants. I learn from everybody. That's my goal is to be a sponge. Even now, even when I'm a producer in a room and I like to work with anyone, my only prerequisite is that I believe in the songs, right? If I believe in the songs, fucking, and and I, I see the potential and how great the songs are going to be, I want to be a part of the project. And we usually have a meeting before we t- take on a project. And the first thing that I say is, I hate these defined roles, even though the word producer or engineer or whatever, that's not really what I am. And I tell bands that. I say, yo, I'm not this, you know, maybe that is makes me the style of producer that I am, but like, I'm just a member of the process. I'm a member of, you know, when we get in this room, we're here to make music. And I'm just going to be a member the same way you're a member, the same way the drummer's a member, the same way the bass player's a member. We're all members in this room and we're, and our goal is to get a great song. So whatever that means, I want to do that. So a lot of people um, say that, you know, oh, that, that makes you basically, oh, so you have this like fifth member, sixth member role. I'm like, hey, if you want to put it like that, cool. But I just make music for a living. That's just what I do. So we come here and we make music and I need people to be open. That is the only thing that makes things incompatible for me. If you're not open to ideas and open to just new ideas and new new concepts and trying things out, it's not the right fit. So say they just want a straight up engineer. Yeah, that, I'm not the guy. I don't care if Green Day walks through the door and say that they, they uh, want to work for 12 weeks and just need me to engineer shit. I won't do it. That's not what I do. That's not, I don't enjoy that. And I only want to do shit that I enjoy. <laughs> you know, if I have to do shit all day. And my thing is, I want to get into the songs. I tell guys all the time, I'm not a fucking sound guy. I'm a song guy. You know, all I care about are the songs. My favorite records growing up weren't always records that sounded great. You know what I mean? You know, they, they, you know, you know, fucking, you know, uh, in utero to me, you know, objectively isn't that you won't put that as like the world's greatest engineered record. I just love that record, you know, and, and old hip hop re- records, you know, old punk records. I just, you know, I love those songs, you know, and, um, and that's what I tell, tell bands. I, I, I'm going to, I'm a song focused song is paramount to me. And that means that if you work with me, we're going to be getting under the hood of your fucking songs. We're going to be diving into it. If you're not comfortable with that, 
then cool. It's not right. But usually when I have this conversation with people, I just tell them, I'm just trying to make your songs the best they can be. Do you want that or you or you don't? As in, we're going to try ideas out. You know, if I, you know, if you have a hook and I say, yo, something about that hook's not feeling right. I, you know, I tried and I always tell guys, I really do. Every demo that I get or the idea, the first thing I do is try to love it. Is try to see the value. See, all right, can this hook? All right, am I singing this? You know, you, you know, I I have even like a test group around me. You know, the people that I trust. I was like, if on, on any like big question stuff, like, yo, is this song does, does this feel right to you? You know, and if it doesn't feel right to me, then I know it might not feel right with a lot of people. I think a good producer happens to be in touch with what a lot of people resonate with. It just is part of the job. A great producer should be a great fan as well. You know what I mean? And, um, and you know, I would say, all right, what about this instead? Can we just try something else? And we can always go back to this. We can always go back to point A. Can we just try B, C, or D? I have an idea. I have an idea for this hook here. And, you know, I tell bands, first of all, that's how I operate. If you want ideas and I'll be the first one and I'm not going to be married to my idea or your idea to or this person's idea. This person can have another idea for the hook. You can have another idea for the hook. I just want to get all the options right so that we pick the best idea for a fucking hook. And that's going to be the hook, not just what you came in with. And it could go back there, but let's just go through these ideas and make the songs the best that they can be. So it's almost like it kind of makes it hard for the band to say, we don't want to make our songs the best that it can be. So we're not worried. It's like, like <laughs> but I really do mean it though. No, oh, we want our songs to suck. <laughs> but not saying that I'm the NLB of making songs great. No, it's the help of everyone. I'm just trying to promote that atmosphere in here to, that for everyone to be open. And a lot of times like, are you, man, that verse not feeling right. I have an idea and that spawns the bass player to have another idea. Oh, I'll be the first person to say, oh yeah, my idea was bad. Basis, dude, he has the idea. That's better. That's the shit. That, let's roll with that. You know, that's why most of my time spent working on a record is pre proing and writing. That's most of the time spent, you know, on, on how I make records. Um, and it's because, you know, we're, our goal is to make the songs as good as they can be. Anyone can make it fucking sound good, man. Anyone can make it sound good. We have a fucking Neve 8048 console in here and we have all the, all, all, you know, all the shit we need to make our, a great sound on record. That's not where my head's at. And I have great engineers that help me. Paramount is the song. And then from that on, how do we plate it so that it does get plated the best it can be for uh, for consumption? Then, you know, we were about the the sound and um, how it gets delivered. But at the end of the day, it's all about the song. If bands are open to that, we're going to have a great record. You know what I mean? But if bands are not and they see, you know, I, there was only one band. I, don't remember what, I won't call it out, but it was a band I loved for most of my life. This band in high school, they were, they, were, they were really crucial in my formative years when I got into a certain genre of music and they wanted me to do the record, their, their big comeback record. And uh, we had a meeting and the this, this singer was like, I've never had anyone touch my songs. And I'm like, dude, if you're not comfortable with that, then I'm probably not the guy for you. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll forever be a fan of the band. Other guys in the band were kind of bummed out, you know what I mean? But the, the main song, right, he had his ways. You know, this was his ways. I was like, dude, all the power to you. I hope this shit fucking kills and, and fucking you guys destroy it. And this pops off, you know, but yeah, yeah. That was the only time that's that conversation went the other way. <laughs> it's important to have the conversation though, because if the band wants, you know, the fifth or the sixth member or like a creative force, that's one thing. If they don't want that for whatever reason, 
and that's what you are. Or if they do want that and that's not what you are, it's going to be a hard time. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, and I don't think that you'll end up doing your best work or they'll end up doing their best work either. Absolutely. The question I have is, do you have this conversation every time? Like, what do you do leading up to a record or when a band is courting you or you're courting a band, like to determine that this is good, we should do this? We have to have that conversation. If we don't have this conversation and this is not what they want, you know, if there's this much involvement from a uh, outside person is not what they want, um, then uh, then there's gonna be a lot of negative energy and a lot of surprises. You know what I mean? I only want healthy surprises, you know? <laughs> and again, that band, that one band that, that the singer w- was not down to do, uh, cause yeah, cause no one's ever touched on. That was the only time that me explaining my process lost me a record. If we ever get to as far as having a conversation with, with the band, we book the record, which says something about what I'm, I guess I'm selling, you know what I mean? But, uh, but all I'm selling, I'm not selling anything. I'm just trying to pitch that, I'm just going to be a creative person to to help with the songs. You don't want that? All good. You know what I mean? And uh, I had to have a conversation because because I don't want them to be to be blindsided for when they come in here. And I'm like, yo, man, fucking yo, let's change the key. That that first melody is kind of whack. What do you think about doing this, doing this, doing that? You know, I don't want them to be blindsided with that. I want to feel like I'm at band practice with them. And that's why, again, I do a lot of record uh, bands, next record and next record, next record, like Circus Survive, our first record, I was only hired to be an engineer. I was also 22, 23 at that point. And it was a big record. You know, they were coming off their big Blue Sky Noise record and they wanted to self produce. They wanted to produce their own shit. And I was able to just be an mm-hmm. engineer. But as the record moved on, I slowly, they saw my value. They, they, they listened to some things that I said and it gave me an assistant producer. Next record, I was producer. The next record, I was producer and collaborator, co writer. The newest record, Fucking, they're like, well, let's switch it up. Let's fucking have you a part of the process early, early. So I spent a month in the garage while we're starting out the initial ideas now. So each pro- each record, we kind of added me in kind of early and early and early in the process um, to grow our collaborative efforts because they see the value, not in me, but in the value of what we get out in each other. It's not about me. It's about what I get out of them, what they get out of me and the cool ideas that we do together. So um, yeah, man, those are relationships that I love because... I always hated being a band, <laughs> but uh, but I love I love fucking building songs. I love writing songs. I love producing songs. I love arranging songs. Um, I just love building songs. So my goal is to uh, position myself where I just do that every single fucking day. Um, if bands want that and they want just a fifth member, sixth member, I'm your guy. You know, I tell them this. I use this analogy. I'm not saying that I'm LeBron James. I, I'm not. But you know, do you want to add LeBron James to your basketball team? You already have a basketball team. You want to add Adam? It's going to make it better. So, you know, some may say he might ruin the chemistry in, in what, what you got going on in your team. That's cool. And then he's not the right fit. But I like to think if I'm interested in a band, if I'm interested in a project, adding me in that way is not going to hurt it because I know I'm not a biased ear. I know everyone says that as in I recognize when the shit's good. You know what I mean? I recognize when Jamie from Code Orange brings it a hook, I'll be the first one to say, no, we're not fucking with that. That shit's fucking good, man. And I'll be the first one to say, dude, that doesn't feel right. And he listens and we listen to each other because we respect each other and we, and we respect each other's ideas. So um, I usually think that if I believe in a, in a band and a record, that adding me on as a fifth or sixth member is only going to make the record better 
at that early stage, you know, or at a creative stage, um, because just like having another member of your band and, and not that LeBron, but I just want to be a valuable asset to the pro to the process. I think it's really important to know who you are. I know some people that are, they are like human computers when it comes to engineering, like that is their thing. Like they almost find Zen in uh, drum editing and stuff, <laughs> which, you know, I'd want to throw myself off a balcony, but uh, they love that. And they do great with that for several people. And I think it's a, it's really, really important to know what it is that you are and pursue that. Absolutely, man. Well, I think this is a good place to end the episode, man. I want to thank you very, very much for taking the time to hang out. It's been fucking awesome. Dude, thank you, man. This is awesome. You're the man, dude. We got to connect more and stay in touch. I agree. All right, then. Another URM podcast episode in the bag. Please remember to share our episodes with your friends, as well as post them to your Facebook and Instagram or any social media you use. Please tag me at Audio at URM Academy, and of course, tag our guests as well. I mean, they really do appreciate it. In addition, do you have any questions for me about anything? Email them to me at al at urm.academy. That's E-Y-A-L at U-R-M dot A-C-A-D-E-M-Y. And use the subject line, answer me, al. All right, then. Till next time, happy mixing. You've been listening to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact, visit urm.academy and press the podcast link today.